0: Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, Your Statistics and Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy.
1: And I am your host, Joshua Tracy.
0: Oh shit. And I'm we going. are Joshua Tracy. <laughs> welcome
1: to the Joshua Tracy Podcast.
0: You got tall Josh and you got medium Josh and we're 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 here to, to talk sports. Um, if we're
1: being honest, it would be tall Josh and Jewish Josh, because those are our defining characteristics.
0: You're not wrong. I was also going to say tall Josh and heavy Josh, um, but I think the, the the through line here is that you're tall and right. I have other things that people will focus on.
1: <laughs> you are a normal, complete person and I am tall.
0: Well, that's the thing. You are also a normal, and complete person, but people won't fix it on that. People will fix it on the fact that, hey, that guy is taller than most other people. Yeah. And that's all you have then. Uh,
1: it's so uncomfortably true
0: (laughs) yeah it's fucking crazy oh and if you're new to the show for anyone who's unaware corwin heller the the other host of this show six foot eight um does not play basketball but six foot eight
1: (laughs) don't play basketball
0: don't play basketball he is almost one kevin durant in height but not in talent
1: like half an inch shorter than lebron so wild yeah, but he has all the talent.
0: Yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and it, it always bothers me seeing athletes who are, like, marginally shorter than me, because then I'm like, what am I doing?
1: Yeah, where <laughs> did I go wrong?
0: <laughs> like, I was I was watching, um, you know, watching the Knicks game the other night, and one of the guys on the other team, uh, I forget, I'm still learning player names, so I'm sorry for the entire NBA, I don't know any of your names, but there was this one guy, and they were like, oh man, he's so good, he's only 5'11", and I was like, fuck, what the uh-huh. hell am I? What am I doing?
1: I have nine inches on that guy, and he would whoop my ass into next week with no repercut. Like, I would be unable to score a single point against a guy nearly a foot shorter than me.
0: Dude, we almost lost a 12-year-old. Do remember that? Oh, uh, no. Oh, man. I, knew, and I but once I'm played... saying no
1: because I'm still trying to repress that.
0: Gordon and I once played a pickup game of basketball, just the two of us against these two 12-year-olds at our gym. And Oh, man, they were a lot better than we were. We were just lucky he's so tall because I just kept throwing the ball to him and he just kept putting it in the fucking bin. Uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. Not to hold anything against female athletes, just the shame it brings is,
0: you know, it was bad yeah. it was a bad day man it and it, yeah just because we uh we like sports and we're gonna talk about sports doesn't mean anything when it comes to actually playing a sport but we're leaving that to the side so we can do the thing that we're good at here and um, so that we, we just don't complain. get
1: unbearably sad
0: well well at yeah. least your team's oh so no your team's got eliminated from the playoffs too uh yeah. well no because your team made the playoffs let's talk about the jets i guess to start yeah. um uh, the Jets made one of the first coaching hires. Uh, they ended up hiring Robert Saleh, who was uh, the defensive coordinator coming out of uh, San Francisco 49ers. We had made some conversation around him when we were talking about all the potential, all the big name kind of guys who were getting interviews uh, last week or so. And uh, in that time, since last week, the Jets had a second interview with Robert Saleh and then brought him in. Um, as the head coach. So, Corwin, since you are still better than me at talking about people who are not um, the players everybody knows, <laughs> tell me about Robert Sala.
1: I absolutely love this. I know we talked about um, his ability as a defensive coordinator, his defensive prowess, um, but I think the the big takeaway here and what I would heard through uh, media people was the big draw for the Jets was not offensive or defensive ability, but leadership and what you would bring to team culture. And believe me, for the Jets, I know you know this well, and I'm sure many people who listen to us know well, the Jets culture the past couple years wasn't great.
0: Absolute shit.
1: Correct. Um, And I think that's Particularly why I'm so excited about this. Um, you know, they're going to be drafting a young quarterback in 99% of chances or 99% of drafts, they're going to be taking quarterback. They're, you know, it's not certain, but you never know. And even if they didn't get an offensive guy to build an offense around him, I love this hire because it is a culture change. You know, look at what Brian Flores did with a joke of a franchise in its current state or its recent past state, the Miami Dolphins, how quickly they're starting to turn things around because of how well he's able to build that team and build the culture around the team and make a winning football club. Um bringing in Offensive coordinator in uh, Mike LaFleur is a fantastic way to get that offensive prowess. Um, But by all means, Robert Sala, uh, Sala, Sala, I'm not certain. Fantastic. I'm very very happy with this duo that came in.
0: Yeah, I got to say, I. Desperately wanted an offensive coordinator, specifically Eric Bieniemy, um, because I think when something is as clear-cut and obvious as really, really good offensive production is, I think it's the easiest thing to point at and say, I want that. Especially given the nature of the team we're talking about here, which is the Jets, who just have not been able to put together a competent offense since the... Yes. Since Mark Sanchez, <laughs> which is a horrifying. That... No, no, uh, actually, the first Fitz Magic season.
1: Okay, yeah. When we had
0: Brandon Marshall Brandon and Marshall. Eric Decker yeah. firing on all cylinders, went ten and six, almost made the playoffs.
1: That was a good Who's year. Running back then,
0: uh Chris Ivory. Oh,
1: right, right, right. Okay. Wow, Chris Ivory. That's a name I've not heard in many a year.
0: Well, that's because he was great for the Jets, and then went in free agency and signed a. A Brilliant. contract, I'm not going to say big or small, um, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then immediately fell off the face of the fucking planet.
1: I think you went to the Browns first.
0: I don't think so. I think you're thinking of the Jets getting I... Isaiah Crowell.
1: You are correct.
0: Yeah, because cause that was the same... The offseason we lost... Um, Chris Ivory was the same offseason we got Isaiah Crowell.
1: Okay. I, I will firmly concede that sounds much more likely
0: all right but now 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 i have to double check myself <laughs> i, I have it. no we fucking
1: are so uncertain we are certain and then there's just this a little doubt that just eats away at us
0: yeah especially because like these are teams especially when it comes to teams that we are fans of like all right yeah so chris ivory three years with the jets then went to jacksonville and apparently played in buffalo in 2018 no recollection of that um, but he, he did it. Um, yeah.
1: I have a slight recollection of that, but it's not a good one. You know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember dude, him being I, anything sort of acceptable in, in Buffalo.
0: I I don't remember it abs- fucking at all, but either way, I, I, You know, my perception of this as a Jets fan is like, hey, no matter who we're going to need or who we're going to pick up, we're going to need someone to either bring Darnold out of his, I don't want to say out of his shell, really just coach him so that he can play well for more than flashes during games, like series of games. Some might say a season Um, Hmm. or uh, coach up. Whatever draft pick we end up taking uh, a quarterback with to a startable cali caliber. Now, I will say, I probably put an undue amount of pressure on that to be the head coach's responsibility instead of being more of a culture center. And I think, um, I think after the news got hired and I had my or news got announced of the hiring and I had my initial bout of disappointment that it was not Eric Bieniemy. I started to calm down a little bit and be like, well, you know, the Jets weren't good under Bowls, but we weren't bad under Bowls either. Or we were just uninspired under Bowls. But I would take that over what we've had the past two years in a fucking heartbeat. Because I think one of the things about the Jets that makes us a weird team, Adam Gase not finishing the season last year with a winning record was actually really weird. Because in Jets' recent history, I think all of our last like six head coaches before that had winning records in their first season as head coach, with wow. basically same rosters, all that shit. Like Todd Bowles, first season ten and six. Um, Rex Ryan, first season nine and seven. Oh fuck, who was before that? Oh goddamn, I can't remember that far back. I'm bad with my head coaches. I, I, it Wasn't Herm Edwards? Was it? it? Doesn't it doesn't matter? Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan. Um, But I think that there is, the for whatever reason, the team is built. I think the Jets are a good case in point about team culture and how it can affect talent levels. Because clearly, the Jets have always had, at various points, enough talent to be good for a year, but not enough either talent or coaching prowess to be good for sustained periods of time. Um, and I think that if that culture can be upheld to a reasonable degree with, which I'm hoping a guy like Robert Salah, Salah, I'm sorry, I don't know, um, could be that guy, then I think we might actually end up for once maybe seeing some success. Um, just
1: a point I thought of while you were going through the past coaches that I want to bring up, you mentioned Todd Bowles, and I think we've all been able to see how good Todd Bowles is as a defensive coordinator, you know, limited success as a head coach, but as a defensive coordinator specifically, he's been excellent at pretty much every stop. I think Robert Salah is a rich man's Todd Bowles. I think talent wise of coaching a defense, I think he is on par or at least in that tier. I think as a leader of a team and uh, by all means uh, a head coach in that position, I think he will be much better. And I would be very excited for being able to see him in that role with a team like the Jets who have, by all means, some talent on defense. You know, they have Quinton Williams. I'm sure there's other players. Um that being said, I I do C. think C.J. Mosley, yeah, you know, he's yeah.
0: still alive. He is, he is now. Now that we have a different head coach, he'll probably uh feel fine again.
1: Just magically be healthy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like uh like James Harden with his weight. <laughs> that was um, a hilarious picture. I know, I know. I not, everyone was overreacting when he came in fat. Let him, let him, let him, let him cook, man. It was it was a pandemic. But yeah, I I I think you're pretty on the nose with it, cause. cause at, when when Tom Bowles got fired or didn't get his contract pick up, I forget which one it technically was. Um, it was it was bittersweet. I think at a lot of points for Jets fans, it was definitely time. I'm not going to make it sound like there was an overwhelming contingency of Jets fans that wanted him to stay around. At least from my recollection of the 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 time. Um, but there was a very good understanding that he was a good dude. Um, who communicated with the players well but for whatever reason just wasn't bringing about like the offense was struggling even though the defense was good Mm -hmm. and it's like how how long can you get by on that and it was proving to not be getting by very quickly um as the jets just kept getting fewer and fewer wins over the course of time and it sucked seeing him go because i think he was pretty well liked. Um, he was never the most emotive dude, but that's just who he was. He, he seemed, again, he seemed to have a good rapport with the players and he always seemed like he had a, like he was just a a good guy to have as as the leader of, uh, of the bunch there. But, um, for whatever reason, you know, it it was time to move on and I'm hoping, uh, Bobby Sala, I have no idea. Robert Sala, um, is able to bring that same type of atmosphere with him, just maybe being I really think at this point, it might just come down to the support staff. That's I think that's what got me most excited was seeing that he was already bringing in his own offensive coordinator, which yeah, is um, I mean, exactly what I think we had said like a week or two ago What is what I was concerned about happening with the Jets is them not letting the head coach pick his own guys.
1: Right. And I think having that guy pretty much in the wings with him and ready to come along almost immediately is a really good sign about or at least towards um, their at least them being on the same page and them being right focused together on you know the shared goal you know he's not bringing a guy in who's just got run out of another team who you know has a reputation in the past he's not trying to bring in some position coach that, you know, may not have the experience needed. He's bringing in, excuse me. He's bringing in a guy who was the passing game coordinator for a extremely gifted offense who just got ransacked with injuries and, and having a bad QB. Um, And I, I think that's a really great sign for the continuity of the Jets coaching staff and their ability to kind of piece a lot of things together.
0: Uh predicted Jets record on the back of this uh, this coach hiring, assuming Darnold maintains quarterback status.
1: Assuming Darnold maintains quarterback status. Hmm. Okay. Um so basically my thought there is man, this is tough. Darnold's good they don't draft a QB at two is essentially what this comes down to correct
0: uh, how about this instead of extrapolating out other players imagine it's a copy paste of the 2020 roster
1: ooh uh, five wins
0: that that's still a marketed improvement I, yeah, uh, like yeah that's I think it's perfectly situation. realistic
1: um, you know I think if you were to then take a, you know, Penny Sewell at two, take a Devonta Smith or another one of the wide receivers at two just to give that team some sort of that extra juice, uh, I think it might be able to make a difference. Um, but I, I really think hitting on a quarterback at two with a new offense, with a, um, uh, just a new a new spark and getting some value back for Sam Darnold. I think that that might be the best option right now. I know Zach Wilson is probably the best natural fit for that. Kyle Shanahan option offense, Uh, Justin Fields with his speed, I think would be very interesting. Um, But I do think the jets are in a fairly good position, even without being able to take Trevor Lawrence. As expected, you know, you never know. Um, They're still in a good spot offensively, you know, system-wise, where either one of those guys could come in and and would fit well with what LaFleur's going to end up trying to implement.
0: Right on. I'm with it. We'll see how it shakes out, but I'm excited. I can't wait to do more updates as uh, Jets news keeps popping up as we gear towards the draft.
1: I really just hate to have to be at this point, but as excited as I am and would be for any team signing this combination, it being the Jets is giving me serious doubts just because of the reputation at hand. And it's just like this, I want to be excited and I want to have all this hope, but it's like I just, I want to hold my breath.
0: So this is is a good point and I, I, will, I will speak about this as a longtime fan of the New York Jetropolitans, um, <laughs> it was universally considered a bad decision amongst Jets fans when we hired Adam Gase. It was Not immediately no a, what'd you say?
1: Not just Jets fans.
0: Oh, of course. <laughs> um, and it was also Everyone. a very decently side-eyed look when we hired Todd Bowles, too. Um, I don't remember much the conversation around Rex Ryan getting hired because that was um, a little bit into my youth, I guess, as a Jets fan. Um, but and I I say this because you got the feeling with those two guys that the GMs did not hire those guys and that the ownership hired those guys. And the problem with that is that the Jets' ownership fucking sucks, Right? Like uh-huh. like my fellow Knicks fans, we all know who hired Phil Jackson. How'd that go? Horribly. But he runs Horribly.
1: the triangle, Josh. He runs the triangle. I know. He won with Michael Jordan. He will <laughs> fix the Nets 30 years later.
0: I know. I know. Knicks, sorry. I, I, know, I know what you meant. And, and, and you can point to almost any... Ownership-based decision in almost any sport, and it will almost always be awful. Awful. Uh, huh? This hiring, I genuinely get the sense that Joe Douglas picked this guy. Um,
1: absolutely. And absolutely.
0: That is the, the main reason why. And honestly, like, I am so much. Maybe it's because I'm more optimistic now. I don't think that's true. Um, than I was in 20 20- fucking 16 when Todd Bowles got hired. Um, well, I have it up. 2015. Uh, either way, but if you know they're both defensive coordinators, they're both good defensive coordinators, both coming off of um, mixed bag teams, but teams with good defenses um, at their respective times, and and it feels completely different. It feels completely different. And I think a big part of that feeling is the fact that this feels like it was Joe Douglas's guy, which I just don't in my recent recollection of head coach decision making. That just has not been the case where it's been the the gm's guy mm-hmm. if it, it for once feels like we're starting to approach a more linear chain of command when it comes to the coaching staff because even even under some of those um some of those Bulls teams they it didn't feel like the like our offensive coordinator one season was was champ Ga- uh champ champ gailey bailey. champ bailey i always get it wrong um who like came out of retirement to do it, I think, because ownership asked him to, and there was a question as to whether or not the OC was even operating directly underneath the head the head coach. And like it was weird. Like our org structure has always been fucked. And as stupid as it sounds, like I and we have all heard me complain about this on the show many times, but how it's the stupidest complaint in the world, but I think has a significant impact on what we're seeing on the field. And it finally feels like we're getting a genuine direct stream for how this is supposed to go and i think that that singular or at least more tunnel focused vision um is going to actually benefit us like it does for so many other teams the fact that the gm picked the head coach the head coach got to pick his oc and will probably flush out flush out the the rest of the coaching staff from there is of great comfort so right.
1: and it's one of those things where we all know that there's plenty of owners and there's plenty of ownership groups that want to have that control because it's their team it's their money they need to have that oversight they need to have that say in order for them to be comfortable with whatever and they want to be a part of it and this and that 100 different excuses you could give putting people that you trust in the GM position and then extrapolating that trust to allow them to hire people that they know will be good fits for the team and will be able to do and perform well with both the systems, the players, the team. That's how you make your team better. And that's how you make long lasting success. You know, trying to feed a square peg into a circular hole is never going to make it easy for the team to succeed. It's just not. That's not how it's going to work. And it's just, it's a nightmare every time. And I think we've seen that time and time again. And yeah, there's going to be exceptions to the rule. There's going to be times where that ends up working. Sure, that's, that's just the nature of the beast. At the end of the day, that continuity makes it easier, and every little bit that makes the lives of—not even the lives—just anything you could do to just get a little ounce of of competitive advantage, you know, the money ball situation is is the right choice. You know, it, little things,
0: little things like that, even exactly. though it's
1: a so little it's it adds up
0: well it 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 doesn't feel little because it's usually not a thing that teams like have to focus on but most teams have figured like this part out already but Mm -hmm. that's what makes me happy about this Jets decision is that the Jets didn't feel like they were involved in the decision it Uh, doesn't
1: feel like a Jets decision
0: right exactly so I'm I'm much comforted by that um Obviously, we're not going to be talking about the NFL games that just wrapped up this weekend yet. We're recording this on um, sub- Sunday, January 17th, uh, right around 2.30. So the Saturday games are finished in the books. We have scores and we have opinions, but the Sunday games have not yet happened in uh, Josh and Corwin world. So we'll be talking about those on the Thursday episode, as we did last Thursday. Um, we do have we did have one other head coaching hire. Uh, I know uh, Urban Meyer also went to Jacksonville, but that's basically been... Um, kind of locked up for like weeks so it's not exactly new oh the falcons had their hire right
1: yes arthur smith tell me about it i don't know much about him
0: where is he from (laughs) i don't even know that
1: (laughs) uh tennessee
0: oh he's a tennessee oc
1: i said that with the question mark yep he was the tennessee offensive coordinator and again i i think he could fit well i think he's diverse enough and at least what I've heard about him is he would be able to fit in with the personnel from just about anywhere he goes. That being said, I know the Falcons are a significantly, you know, almost air raid type offense where they have Matt Ryan, they have Julio Jones, they have Calvin Ridley, they have Gabriel Davis and at running back, they have a very different Todd Gurley and a very not-so-great supporting cast of, like, Edo Smith and Brian Hill. Like, it's, it's not the Tennessee Titans build. I'm curious to see whether or not he's going to try and find some of that Tennessee success and kind of make some adjustments to the Falcon system, or if he's going to come in, see that he already has all of this talent in place and can just use that and adjust his system to better fit the falcons um again it's one of those things where i could see it going both ways i'm really just curious about which is inevitably chosen as the path for them to take
0: yeah i i see this as one final attempt at an alteration before a rebuild Because I think you're right. I think they're trying to hope that they get some of that Tennessee magic here. Um, Because I think that this is the last couple of years of getting very, very good play out of Matt Ryan and good to great play out of whatever pieces they still have around him. Because, you know, and it's not even trying to shit talk the Falcons or shit talk Matt Ryan or. Any of that shit. It's just, it's just a matter of age and how good their division is, and you know how long these guys have been with the organization, and, and just you know it, it, been in the NFL, and whether you know when it's going to be time for them to hang up the cleats. Um, Father time is undefeated, and at some point it comes very sharply. And uh, you know if, if you're if you're in the Falcons top brass and you see what um, what th- this guy, I already forgot his fucking name. What's his name again? Arthur Smith. Yeah, if you if you see what what what, uh, what Smith managed to to do to whatever, uh, uh, whatever amount he had a hand in Ryan Tannehill's turnaround and the Tennessee offense in general, uh, turnaround during the Tannehill tenure, then you take a shot on that, and you know it, it might be a small sample size, but you'll gamble on it because. It's it's kind of boomer bust right now. It's either we had we head yep. towards it in a Falcons rebuild because we have the two oldest quarterbacks in the league who refuse to let this division be easy to win, um, mm. log jamming us from taking the division, or we bottom out and get some key players and try again in three more seasons, four seasons from now. So, I think it's I think it's a fair. It's I think it's a riskier higher, but I, I like that.
1: Yeah, I I do definitely think it's a little bit riskier. Um, It's definitely not my first choice, you know. But at the same time, uh, the other candidates definitely have their own issues. Um, I really, really would hope that they understand that they're not really in a situation to contend moving forward. They are basically on the back end of Matt Ryan's career. They're on the back end of, uh, you know, the defense at least is not in a situation to propel them to a Super Bowl. I think despite having Matt Ryan there, having Julio Jones there, I think now would be a very smart time if a quarterback falls to them at Five, six, I forget where they pick, but I think it's top ten, yeah, um to take a quarterback if one's there, to see if they can move Matt Ryan, which I'm sure they can, even if it's not up to his full value., uh, and I think it would be time to trade Julio Jones to a contender and get some serious value back for him, get some picks and put yourself in a very very good position to rebuild or at least retool you know if you can get yourself a quarterback and that's something you can do in the draft post drafts that's when you could say all right now we have this future set up for ourselves we can take care of some of our Um, you know, older guys send them to contenders, do this, do that, and build around this new younger quarterback and put ourselves in a serious, um, position to contend later on. And I think that would be probably the smartest decision for them to do right now because I just don't know if, uh, the rest of their team is in a situation to, um, to continue on as uh... yes as a contender those are the words
0: <laughs> all right Fuck I man. wondered if we were going to reach that conclusion of that sentence all it right it was
1: a tough one
0: <laughs> yeah it was going really strong that the brakes came on very suddenly
1: <laughs> it was like my mind got distracted without having anything to distract it and it yeah yep yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, the they idea exactly. for Adderall was born.
1: Ah, uh, yes, the magical, magical drug. Uh,
0: uh, all right. I I want to talk some baseball. Do we have any other football topics um, on 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 hand before we, uh, we pivot sports?
1: Football topics again I don't involve the playoffs. Urban Meyer. I do want to say we never talked about the stipulations with him having full control over his assistant coaches. And again, like we mentioned with. Uh, the Jets, that's huge. Uh, but one of the other stipulations was major investments and overhauls for the um, team facilities, which by all means, you know, regularly seeing how often colleges upgrade their facilities to help with recruiting, you know, just the level of quality that college locker rooms college practice facilities college facilities as a whole bring and then you know looking and seeing the Steelers locker room where it's just bare wood nothing spectacular you know things like that I don't know how much of a difference that all would make I have to imagine it would help in recruiting free agents to some extent but at the same time that's it's going to be really interesting to see how much of a uh, an impact that is, and if that's something that catches on around the league. So it's nothing significant that really will affect um, the Jaguars now or you know in the near future. I just think it'll be a very interesting thing to uh, to just see unfold.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I guess uh I, I guess there's no um you know wealthy alma maters of a team donating large chunks of cash to the team. No one no one's giving money back to their employer as a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I uh no no no. no, no. I I don't think like LT gave a huge chunk of change back to the Giants to go build them a new fucking gym. I really doubt that's ever happened with any player in the history of fucking sports, but uh, (laughs) cause you think about like, that's a totally normal thing to hear happen in in football or um, in college football, even if it's not former players, just like rich alumni, just donating money back to the school and ultimately getting funneled into whether directly or indirectly, like, the athletics departments and then getting state of the art gyms and shit. Yeah, that doesn't really happen in football do not I d I don't I don't think or any other sport. Yeah. No. Cause you know what? The difference is is uh if you uh if you really like love the Yankees, instead of donating like ten million dollars to them, you can just like buy a hat. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to like, or get like really nice box seats or like meet the players, like you don't have to just give money for the sake of it. You can get stuff in return. But anyway, Uh. yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out as well as as we get some more of the um, uh, assistant coach and 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 you know underling coach hires from from the organizations that have made their head coaching decisions and see how those teams kind of flesh out the rest of their staff. See if there's any notable names, um, that that kind of crop up. Mm-hmm. Moving over to baseball, in in a in a in The most hotly anticipated news of the Yankees offseason, DJ LeMayhew has uh, re-signed with the Yankees. Now, before we get into the contract details therein, um, Corwin, Mm -hmm. what did you... What would you have thought a DJ LeMayhew contract would look like? Um... Like, like, where would you value him? Because I'm actually not sure we talked about this prior to to um, today.
1: I don't think I would kind of have him in that top tier. It's hard. Like, it. I wouldn't put him in like the the contract area of like other shortstops. He still plays short, right? Or is he moved second? To second. Yeah. I guess I'd have him. Definitely higher in value than like a an Ozzy Albies, um, both because I think he's got a better bat and because that Ozzy Albies contract is such a joke. Um, uh, who are some other top cost second baseman? Top, top contract second baseman. It's tough, but I definitely think I'd have to have him up near the top. Maybe not the absolute top, but that tier two.
0: Uh, The highest paid second basemen are oh, Jose dude. Altuve, Gene Segura, Mike Moustakas, Rugnet Odor, Dustin Pedroia. Oh my god, this is a terrible Never list. Never mind, maybe he is a tier one guy. Oh my god, dude, this is so... Now granted, this is by money, so a lot of these are going to be the older dudes, but like, wow, this is a fucking perplexing list.
1: Who were <laughs> the all-star second basemen last year? I guess I can look that up just as well.
0: Uh, We didn't have an all-star game last year. So I'm not sure they made any selections. I don't know.
1: Fair enough. I guess I'll have to go back to uh, the year before. Let's see. Uh, 2019 it is. Where is second base?
0: I know George DJ uh, went in 2019.
1: Cattell Marte. Ah. Uh, with Mike Mostakis as the reserve. Okay. Very interesting choice. I remember that now. And it was DJ LeMayhew and Tommy LaStella, Brandon Lowe as reserves. Ah. Uh, as well. That's right.
0: That's right. He, that's right. I
1: guess you kind of just by default, you know, not anything against him and his talent. Just by default is now a a top tier second baseman
0: uh, so so what would you what would you figure the a a v on a guy like d j would be
1: oh i I couldn't even pull that out of my hat you know twenty really again, I don't really know comparatively what that would be. It's hard to just throw a number on it. Off the top of my head.
0: Okay. Because what I'm trying to figure out. So this has been a, a very sought after man. Because um, mm-hmm. c- Yankees love the fact he hits a lot of home runs. Yankees fans just or, sorry, hits a lot of hits a lot of balls. He, he, he and he does. He hits he hits a lot of balls. Um, he has a high batting average. And that is a thing people have decided that they care about um, for only this one guy. And I I get it, man. As a Yankees fan, I get it. It, it has been a blast having him here. I don't think he makes or breaks the team. Um, for reference, he is the number five second baseman getter um, I guess Mookie Betts had like an appearance at second base and is therefore at the top of this list, but that's not right. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I have a I have a list of from 2018 to 2020 uh, the most WAR accumulated by second baseman. It's a weird it's a weird list that includes a lot of third basemen, <laughs> like Jose Ramirez, Alex Bregman, and Anthony Rendon. <laughs> this is a who, all right. I this list doesn't make any sense, but. DJ is certainly up there in, in the list. It's all oh, these are single season. That's why. All right. I'm not going to put that much effort into this. Um, and I, I, he he's going into his age 32 season. He is a career 102 OPS plus hitter. Um, he is a career um, 100. WRC plus hitter point being the last two years of DJ LeMahieu have been fucking amazing at a non-premium position. And that's not to say second base doesn't matter. And DJ also plays third base and he, um, I haven't heard him be ragged on in the way that we usually hear about. So I retooled the query to pull off, um, the best, the highest war for players who played at least 50% of their games at second base collectively from 2018 to 2020 and the player with the most war in that time at that position is Ketel Marte 12.7 position player war number two yeah. is yeah. DJ LeMahieu at 11.4 followed by Ozzie Albies at 10.4 Colton Wong at 9.7 and Whit Merrifield at 9.6 um does Whit
1: Merrifield play third base right now or second base right now or did he move to the outfield
0: uh, I believe he's still second baseman.
1: I dropped my mic again. Just a non sequitur for, you know, posterity stake and just a little, you know, inside the NBA edition. Um, I'm currently recording just laying flat on my back in bed with just my mic resting on my chest. Just to paint that picture for the audience.
0: Yeah, imagine Corwin's seven, eight foot long bed. (laughs) (laughs) Having to accommodate all that.
1: Shaq's bed. Just imagine me just laying in the center. Oh my
0: God. I have never seen a picture of Shaq's bed. And now I kind of feel like I need to see a picture of Shaq's bed. It's like 10 feet long, I think. I'm surprised it's only that long. (laughs) I'm surprised Shaq just didn't line his floor with bed and sleep in a room of bed. I don't, I
1: think that would be really fucking awesome. I've always had this like dream of basically making like a little, not necessarily a room, but like, you know how like in a living room, there's like a half wall sometimes or like little areas within the room. I just want to have like a 10 foot by 10 foot area that's just like couch or padded, just like, just lay out, relax, just doesn't matter what angle or whatever, just. Bed, couch,
0: room. Yeah. I'm with it. Yeah. Uh, right. so, anyway. Um, (laughs) popping back over to what we were talking about as we've we've had enough bed talk. Um, pillow talk at that point? Who knows? Uh, my, My pillow talk? I don't know. Um, fuck you, Mike Liddell. Um, so, of those five guys, uh, let's try to do this in order. Cattell Marte is currently making, heading into the 2021 season, $6 million. Um, he has left on his deal four years and looks um, like $36 million. So, what is it, about $8 million a year? Um, Whit Merrifield, was that the next name in order? No, it wasn't. Ozzy Albies. <laughs> No, we've talked about his terrible extension before. Um, is set to make Jesus two and a half million dollars this upcoming season. Three million dollars. It appears Criminal. as though. Uh, yeah, I know. It appears as though he has left um, to for six years, and um, oh my God, really? Like thirty million dollars. This is so bad. Um. So that's terrible. Six years, $30 million. So that's about $5 million a year. Uh, Colton Wong, who actually got bought out by the Cardinals, and I'm not sure has a contract yet. He might be a free agent right now. Um, hmm. But last year, he got paid yeah He absolutely four,
1: is, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah, last year, he got paid just under $5 million. And finally, we have Whit Merrifield, who is uh, still amidst a four-year, $16.25 million contract, so about $4 million a year average. Um, Those are the peers. So none of them cracked $10 million a year. DJ LeMayhew, who is granted number two on this list, just behind Cattell Marte, really good, all that shit. The oldest member of this group um, is getting double the highest-paid player's average annual value. Wait, say that again? The oldest? the Of of the top five war getters for second baseman between 2018 and 2020. Uh-huh. So that includes both of DJ's Yankees years and one non-Yankees year. I only included a, a, that third year, that 2018 season, because the 2020 season was very short. Um, there's no nefarious purposes behind it. I figured I'd just capture a little bit more. Why are you trying you to know. cheat us, Josh? What are you doing? I, I can't change it. Um, and I'll do that actually now just for the sake of it, but, um, he's making double what, what the next guy is making. And the next guy behind him in terms of AAV is the one guy ahead of him in terms of actual genuine production. And again, this isn't because my problem with it is like, you can't, and you know, this is such a Yankees fan fucking thing to do, which is, I think why it bothers me so fucking much is you can't just throw money at your fucking problems like like, it it should it should seem obvious like we all agree in retrospect that Jacoby Ellsbury was a terrible signing people loved some some people loved it at the time because it it was taking a guy from Boston and the position that we needed at a premium position who was really good for a couple seasons how'd it go it was bad (laughs) it went really poorly we threw a bunch of money at a problem and it did not work out the DJ LeMahieu is going to be signed as a Yankee through his age 38 season. Ooh. A second baseman who will be paid through his age 38 oh. season. That's fucking bad, man. Albert Pujols at first base is a liability on defense. Like uh, and again, this isn't this isn't meant to be a diss on DJ and I th- feel like that's where a lot of the defense that I saw of DJ coming from on Twitter is you know people not wanting DJ back is going oh do you not understand how good he yeah he's really fucking good at the same time you got to be smart with your dollars like you can't you can't just dish out contracts especially as big money teams like the Dodgers Red Sox and Yankees are all for whatever stupid reason they decide to do this trying to stay underneath the luxury tax threshold and <sighs> If if you want pitching and you want DJ, then you got to play hardball with DJ so you can afford pitching. Like it doesn't, it's not that hard. Mm -hmm.
1: It's one of those things where I really think we should do an episode coming up discussing salary cap for baseball. I don't know what the big argument against implementing a salary cap is, at least in the NBA. But I think it would cause teams to really second-guess these kinds of decisions in the future if they had to ration their money. If the Yankees couldn't just throw money at a problem consistently and just expect it to work out because it's the Yankees and, and money solves problems. Um, but we could, unless you know off the top of your head, I think we could probably save that for another episode.
0: No, what off the top of my head. Sorry.
1: Just like the reasoning against salary cap in the MLB.
0: Uh because it wouldn't help you. That that's just the reality of it. We've seen bad teams have really high payrolls because unlike um especially basketball, but also a lot of our other salary cap sports like the NFL and like um uh hockey. Uh, having great to varying degrees, but having a handful of great players can really, really make your team. Um, Even if you just have a handful, you know, if you put Aaron Rodgers on a bad team, would they still be bad? Probably, but they'd be a fuck ton better. You put uh-huh. Aaron Rodgers on that Jacksonville Jaguars team, are they going to be good? No. Are they going to win more than one game? Absolutely. Are they
1: going to push uh, for the playoffs? Probably.
0: Honestly, in that weak ass division, they fucking might have. Like, um, same you know, and, and, and same thing. You see this around hockey uh, again to a lesser extent. You really obviously see this in basketball, but you do not see this in baseball. It's it's way too. There's too few, um, not enough playing time, respectful to how many players there are for it to truly come into effect. Because if that was the case, then one of the greatest players of all time, a Mike Trout, let's say. Um, his team would be going to the playoffs all the time, and he doesn't. So he really does would. Why not? Because the Angels don't understand what pitching is supposed to be. Um, it is helpful in that it allows you to cover your mistakes better by giving a contract to Jacoby Ellsbury and then letting him never play or never seeing him on the field because he's hurt all the time. Um, that would kill the Royals because they'd have to keep paying him even if they got their. Uh, that salary covered by insurance, it you still know, chip away at what they have to to spend to at least some degree. Um, because I highly doubt insurance would cover all of it. Uh, whereas with the Yankees, you call that inconvenient and then you move on. Um, obviously, that keeps you from signing maybe an extra player, but it's not nearly as big of a deal. However, that's not helping you. It's just keeping it from hurting you. And I think that's where the big difference is.
1: Okay. I can see that.
0: However, the salar- the luxury tax threshold has served as a de facto cap for a while. Um, for some. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think I like the idea that you can go over it if you want to. Um, because it lets you see teams make the pushes to go over it and then... You know, treat that as their window as the repercussions get worse and worse every year. Because the more years you are over the luxury tax threshold, the more severe the punishments get. Um, so I like that you have the option to do so, but
1: I, don't know. I will say it, I definitely forgot about the implementation of the salary cap or the uh luxury tax. Luxury tax, thank you. Um, and how it's essentially just a a flexible salary
0: cap. Yeah, it's like it's like a soft cap,
1: mm-hmm. which, by all means, in principle, I really do like.
0: Yeah, I I actually think this is one of the better I do think the MLB needs a salary floor desperately, um, mm-hmm. because I think all sports really honestly should have it, and most yep. sports, other sports, do. Instead um, of
1: the luxury tax, it's just our poverty tax. Or the Pittsburgh tax, if you want to just <laughs> work with it. <laughs> oh,
0: they earned that. Um, but anyway, I guess to, to revert back to the point, by the way, I did rerun the query. Um, if we take just 2019 and 2020, the DJ LeMahieu years, some might say, Um, he is the most valuable shortstop, or sorry, second baseman in that time, 8.9 war. Over those two seasons, um, he finishes just 0.2 war ahead of Cattell Marte at 8.7. Um, and then the top five looks very familiar. The only name that changes out is... In- um, all else is equal. The top five is still um, DJ, Cattell Marte, Colton Wong, Ozzy Albies, and then Brandon Lau at number five instead of uh, Whit Merrifield.
1: So, again... Lau on Lau uh, on the contract size list?
0: I think he's still on his rookie deal.
1: He absolutely
0: is. yeah, so, uh and 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 again, that's the point of this is like, obviously, no one faults DJ for asking for like 25 a year. Like I mean, nobody faults DJ for going in and saying, "I want four years, a hundred million dollars." and the and because he should, like, that's his job. At the same time, it's like you you also can't fault the Yankees for saying, "You are old. You have two good seasons. They just so happen to well... both be with us. But <laughs> <laughs> He
1: did win that pesky little batting title. Bat Sorry, you're right.
0: He does Yankees. have three good seasons.
1: He's been a good player his whole career. He just took it to a different level when he joined the Yankees.
0: I'm going to read you his OPS plus by season, starting in 2011 when he got into the league with the Cubs, apparently. um, 50, 88, 74, 75, 92, 128, this was his first batting title in Colorado, 93, 88, and then he joins the Yankees, 135, last season, 177.
1: Okay, you got me there.
0: Yeah, again, a, and a, he is a gold glove defender. You know, he's, he's got three of them, and he's, he's been, a, 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 I guess, a decent enough contact hitter his his entire career. Um, the problem is, is that we don't, I don't, I don't care if you're a contact hitter. Um, while I have often said I enjoy, I think watching contact hitting, I think the same way a lot of people enjoy watching really successful runs. Um, I want to see my team pass and I want to see, um, home runs because I know that they are more valuable.
1: Um, and they're just more fun. They just make the game more fun.
0: Absolutely, they do. So, I I think this works. I think this works in a really interesting way, which is this works in the same way the Yankees deal with Aaron Hicks works, um, which is still that super fun, old-school, seven-years, $70 million contract, where, yes, they'll be paying Aaron Hicks for a long time, but they'll be paying Aaron Hicks at pretty small amounts for baseball contracts. Right. Um, like, if you owe Aaron Hicks $10 million for the, like, three seasons, if he retires with three years left or isn't even on the team, it, uh, in Yankee land, that doesn't even fucking process. It doesn't matter. Um, same thing with DJ. If if he retires or is not on the Yankees after his age, I don't know, 36 season, and you owe $30 million for two years, oh, man, do you fucking care? It's, it's less than one year of Garrett Cole. Like, you can live with that.
1: Mm-hmm. Because um, the Yankees. the Yankees have that kind of flexibility,
0: right? And this this is where I think we I, I think we we might end up seeing more of these contracts over time as they're easy ways. Because if the ultimate goal is to not have to face the luxury tax threshold, which again, as we've we've seen teams make a point of that, I guess being the goal, then the answer to that has to be lower AAV. And clearly, the players don't give a fuck if teams go over the luxury tax threshold because why on earth should they give a fuck?
1: That is not
0: their problem. That's Um, like
1: an employee giving a shit if their employer has to pay, you know, like fines or penalties. Pines, you know.
0: Yeah, the combination Um, of fines and penalties. Pines. You might have seen the trees. No, Uh, (laughs) I care that
1: you pay my salary. I don't care that you have other expenses. It's a business, you are supposed to have expenses.
0: Right. And it's also the idea that like if if you're making let's go with DJs, 90 million dollars. Does it matter to you if you're making that over the course of 4 years or 6 years? It's such a high quantity of dollars that if you're a real person, you shouldn't care. It's not no. going to matter to you. What matters is that one, you will at some point in time accumulate 90 million dollars and i i understand you can invest shit and there's compounding rates and blah 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 blah. suck that. my balls
1: um you and i would care about those things but at the same time you and i don't deal with that level of money so at right. the end of the day it really it's not a real person issue
0: no no it is not now if you if you know they You and I went into work, and they, you know, our bosses told us, Hey, instead of paying you, um, I don't know, median salary rate for this one year, we're going to stretch it out over six. We would be furious because that would be um, impossible to live on. Um, But in terms of how high these dollars are, nobody gives a shit. I I mean, at least you shouldn't give a shit. What matters is that it's the money's all going to add up eventually. Eventually, DJ will get to $90 million, and uh, DJ gets the option to keep playing baseball if he wants to. Which also has a value on it. Right. And I think for those two things, the lower AAV and uh, for the team, and the fact that the players will still get their money and get to play baseball, we might end up seeing this as more of a standard. And it's, it's Ger- hard. To Cole's contract to... might be the last of or the beginning of the end of those types of contracts. Uh,
1: on one hand, I don't think that'll ever be the case because people are greedy. Um, at the same time, I think there's, You know, we can't say where specifically his mindset is, but taking lower money and allowing a team to build for contention, build for the future, things like that, being able to, you know, spread your money out, taking a hit of, you know, two years worth of interest, you know, lost investment time, for the chance to contend for a championship i would consider that a fair trade off that a large number of especially older players who have their money and, and are set and have their you know playing time and uh what's it called their pension kind of lined up where they don't have to worry okay now let's worry about getting a championship cuz that's now what's most important
0: um, so we'll
1: see how that unfolds,
0: right? And not to mention the fact that the longer you are an active player in a league, even if you're not like a, a high end player, uh, the more time you have for sponsorship deals. Which, if you want to play it like Gronk, who lived entirely off of his sponsorship money and didn't touch his NFL salary, um, you could probably still get by fine on that, especially if you play in the <coughs> New York market, um, <laughs> just as an a touch. So. All in all, if you had to give a grade to this uh, this signing, what would you say?
1: Uh, a B minus? Maybe C plus, depending on how long, uh, you know, looking back, how long he'll be able to continue to play at this level. Um, just at face value, I think having him around while this team is still very much a front runner contender, and you know, the excuse me, the team in the AL. I think it'll work for them. Um, that being said, obviously, the Yankees are not quite in the same boat as the rest of the league when it comes to having to maximize your window before a rebuild because I mean, we know what team it is it's the Yankees. Um, that's not their biggest concern. Uh, they don't need to worry about that, uh, but I don't think it's a bad deal.
0: No, I'll probably I probably give this a B B plus. Um, I think this this is still a riskier signing than I think a lot of people are, are are making it out to be. This is still you paying a lot for a you know already in his thirties player. I mean, I and what's crazy is like I've been hearing discussions from Yankees fans about how we shouldn't give Judge big money because he's in his late 20s already. And they're, we're ready to throw money at DJ who's literally already in his 30s. But whatever. um, Whatever. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, the Yankees felt this was a guy that they had to bring back whether, you know, and we've talked about the merits of that already. Um hmm. So that is what it is they did so at a reasonable enough rate and they did so stretched out over enough period of time that they can absorb the losses. Well, you know, so in, in, in an ability to mitigate some of the risks. So I think while uh, it's still more than I would have ideally liked to have given out in my mind, I was picturing somewhere closer to 10 or 12 AAV. Um, This is still perfectly acceptable for a gigantic team like the Yankees. So,
1: do you do you think the arms race that has taken place in the west between the Dodgers and the Padres has forced the Yankees to make these deals and ensure that they are continuously putting the best players that they can get at each position?
0: No, no, I don't think I don't think so. In fact, I think in, I, and I could be totally wrong about this. This is strictly a guess. I think the Yankees probably wanted to be involved in some of those deals that the um, that our our West Coast baseball friends have been involved in, but they didn't anticipate the DJ signing taking this long, um, because you know we we got the Yankees got Corey Kluber like the, literally the same day after DJ signed, and now we're hearing the Luis Castillo trade rumors heating up for the Yankees um, and all this taking place after DJ signed, And I think it's because the Yankees knew they wanted to bring DJ back. They just wanted to make sure it was at the right salary level and didn't want to commit to other players and fuck with what they were able to offer in order to stay underneath the luxury tax threshold. So I, I, I don't think the Yankees felt like they needed to do any, because the Yankees holes are the Yankees holes. Like they have holes in the rotation and they have um, problems in the, in, in, certain parts of the infield well and left field um but i think that if the dj signing happened i don't know the first week of the offseason we might have heard more heat about maybe darvish going to new york or maybe snell going to new york and as we said when we talk about those two trades that's not meant to disparage the padres in any way it's just those deals were so light and the player salaries were so not crazy that it was surprising more teams weren't involved in them. The Yankees being among those teams.
1: Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting year for sure, and boy, I am going to stress out over my World Series picks this year. Jesus
0: Christ. Uh, I I know, man. I know. Uh, <laughs> all right, we've been going for a while. I do want to talk about the the possibility of a Castillo trade, um, and then in part because of course right after we done recording this um it will be announced <laughs> as all things happen um oh Doug Peterson also got hired for the Eagles job um we found out right after we finished fucking recording fired god oh, sorry fired from the Eagles job sorry yeah, fired definitely fired,
1: fired. was not hired by the Eagles.
0: no the, uh, the opposite of of uh, of hired um yeah god that was fucking funny um it feels like it always happens and i so so I know that if we talk about it it uh, it will be willed into existence. So we'll take it from there. Um so there's been a lot of there's been a lot of heat, a lot of conversation, a lot of chitter chatter on the interwebs about the possibility of a Luis Castillo trade to the New York Yankees. Um and I got to say I I understand it to a large degree because I think Luis Castillo is a very good baseball player. Um I also think a lot of Yankees fans are doing the thing again where they have no concept of how much money things are and where the Yankees want to be organizationally. And I don't mean to make this super Yankees-specific, but I obviously am because we're doing it, um, and uh, it bothers me because I'm a Yankees fan. So Luis Castillo is a great pitcher Mm -hmm. who also uh doesn't make a ton of money. He's cheap. Um which is part of why Cincinnati's not inclined to let him go. If we're looking at Cincinnati as, as a team, um uh, where do you think they rank in terms of payroll?
1: Ooh. Um That's hard to say. Uh where the Yankees would rank?
0: No, no, no Cincinnati.
1: Oh. Very low. Give me a guess
0: uh bottom third, so what are you saying like twenty or lower?
1: yeah, I'll say 20, 23.
0: 15th. wow, yeah, yeah, we're, they have popping them up, oh, we're gonna get into that um okay, yeah, so. Right now, the Cincinnati Reds, with only 26 players on their roster, so they still need to to fill that out a little bit, um, have $110 million in payroll right now. That's a lot. Yeah, obviously, they would like that to be smaller, which means that if they're going to trade away one of the cheaper players on their team, they're going to need a very specific set of return back. And that return would have, if I was the Reds, that return would have to look something like either a fuck ton of young prospects, which is fine, um, but more specifically, payroll. I would also need you to send over or to absorb one of Joey Votto and his twenty-five million dollar a year contract. Oh, sweet Jesus, Nick Castellanos or Mike Moustakis, who each have a 14 million dollar per year contract.
1: I mean, I think that at least if you had to ask, uh, Votto is definitely the contract you'd have to get rid of and dump.
0: And I mean so,
1: Castellanos and Mushtakas are still still playing at a high enough level to be worth that money. Joey Votto's
0: not worth 25. Which is a horrible sentence. Um it, it pains our hearts, our collective uh, hearts. Problems with that, my friend. However, firstly, Joey Votto is eight, is thirty seven. That's old. Secondly, uh, Joey Votto has a full no trade clause, so he would have to approve a trade to New York. Which, at thirty seven, having spent his entire career with Cincinnati, I am just so doubtful he would approve a trade to go literally anywhere. Um. And thirdly, we just talked so much about how the Yankees are trying to stay underneath the luxury tax threshold and the gymnastics they would do uh, that they've been doing to get there. Why on earth would they then throw all that away to take on a Joey Votto contract? The Yankees, as it stands right now, are $4.8 million underneath the luxury tax threshold, which means that signing Joey Votto would put them $20 million over the luxury tax threshold. Why? Why they would uh, they wouldn't do it.
1: You know what? If they were that beyond desperate to contend and put up this year and and put up the numbers needed, maybe? I don't think they would, but maybe.
0: And the see that's what there. I'm That's what I'm saying is like if 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 that was the case, and the Yankees were willing to just say, eh, fuck it for this year. Let's just go. They wouldn't have fought with DJ over the difference between $100 million over four years and $90 million over six years. Like, that wouldn't have been a month-long debate. You know what I mean? Right. Uh-huh. So, because we just saw that play out with a, um, a face of the current Yankees situation, I'm not going to say a face of the franchise guy, because I don't think he is, but a face of this current iteration of the Yankees, if they just went through that with that guy, why the fuck would they just absorb Joey Votto's $25 million? Again, assuming he goes there. Assuming he approves of that trade. And then you'd have to find a place to do something with him. Because he's not going to go to the minors. No. There's no way he's going to approve a trade to go to the Yankees just to get sent down to the minors absolutely no I'm way retired. that happens yeah
1: Approve the trade help out the reds this that and then say hey i'm I'm still just going to retire
0: well if he was going to do that he could just retire not even have to approve the trade
1: would that money He'd just be helping off, the yankees would that money come off the books yeah okay different from the nfl so never mind
0: i believe so anyway or at least or at least it comes off their oh they still wouldn't care about playroll, but pay uh payroll dollars the reds are probably just concerned with Spending. Actually, now I have to check. I'm pretty sure that you just forfeit that money. Um, I'm pretty sure.
1: So anyway. it wouldn't count towards the the luxury tax and payroll. It would just be, hey, you just still owe this guy his money.
0: Well, that's the thing. I'm not even sure they owe. They would owe him that. I think he leaves it on no. the table.
1: Uh, no, because contracts are guaranteed in MLB, so he'd still have to get that money. But I guess since it's his choice to retire, that might, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying, because I know MLB has, has, I know I MLB do,
0: has a pension, might, yeah. and I think that actually factors into here to the fact that they don't maintain those contracts after retirement, but I also don't remember. Because um, unless a good chunk of this is, we're getting into a whole different rabbit hole. It doesn't matter. Um, just, again, just because the likeliness of this is so comically low. Because, uh, oh, sure. ag- again, the issue that I see with this isn't just, hey, we need prospects. The Reds probably need to spend less money. And while I think that trading Luis Castillo for, uh, you know, um, Miguel Duhar and Clint Frazier and uh, Clark Schmidt And whoever else you want from the Michael King, whoever the hell else you want from the Yankees um, uh, minor league roster is all well and good. Um, I don't know. Let's say let's say it's a six to one player swap. That's six players making what? Six hundred thousand dollars a year. Seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Hmm. That's about Luis Castillo's payroll anyway. Does does it matter?
1: Yeah. Maybe just Are they gonna do it? Future cons- contract consideration wise. You know, Luis Castillo is in a very prime position to get paid a lot of money relatively soon. I don't know if he still has arbitration left or or when he's lined up to get a new contract, but six young players might not get new contracts or, you know, expensive contracts for four or five years where Luis Castillo might have to get paid this offseason or next offseason. So who knows? He currently has uh,
0: two ARB years left.
1: Okay, so that's a good amount of time.
0: It's a lot of control. Yeah,
1: but he's worth something. a, A lot of money in arbitration. Not nearly as much as he would,
0: but a still decent amount. Well, that and he'd be making under market value which again makes him a perfect situation for the reds who while they aren't going to be good next season almost no matter what they're not going to be bad next season yeah they're losing trevor bauer but their divisions shit um so having the one-two punch of Luis castillo and Sonny gray might be enough to kind of buoy them over for the course of a season and maybe even finish second in that division and steal a wild card spot from somebody um because, again, the division's so bad. And the only reason I'm so fixated on the dollars here, because if this was a different, if this was like a year or two ago, I think the Yankees would have done this with almost no problem and just taken one of Moustakis or um, Castellanos, eaten the salary, made them like the fucking bench DH, and just lived with it. Um, because that's what we'd expect them to do. But they are weirdly fixated on the dollars here. And while I actually do still think something is likely to happen with this, I think no matter what, it's going to be odd. I think it's either going to be the Reds aren't getting enough salary relief that you would think that they would be looking for, uh, or the Yankees take on way more salary, salary relief than you think they would for a team that just pinched pennies with DJ LeMahieu. Right. Um, it 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 it's it's a very strange situation to be in. And this again further's my talking point of why didn't the Yankees get involved in the Darvish or Snell trade because as we talked about with those guys um they were they were cheap. They're not making a lot of money and the Yankees are either in a position where they have to dish out the same number of prospects if not fewer um Sorry, if not more, to get Luis Castillo um and end up paying what might end up being the same amount of money, if not more, um in salary relief. As it stands again, Luis Castillo is set to make around four million dollars. Um, Blake Snells set to make eleven. And if the Yankees are going to be taking on salary relief from the Reds, seven million dollars seems low. And maybe they do it for that, but at that point you could have just gotten Blake Snell.
1: Yeah. No kidding.
0: And Blake um, Snell is in his second art like it's it's it, it's just weird.
1: It is just really weird. I do not know how to explain it, but here we go. It's the same old, same old.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure uh, I don't know. Twenty minutes after talking about this, it'll get announced. <laughs> but
1: of course, that's and this
0: whole great. conversation will be moot, and we'll be wondering why we did, why we did this. But oh well, um, that's just the way this shit goes. Uh-oh. The way the cookie crumbles. That's right, my friend. That's right. Um. All right, I I have I have shot the shit I think long enough on this one single topic. Um, do you have anything else uh, you'd like to discuss before we wrap it for today?
1: No, no, I'm good.
0: All right. Uh, well, hey, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. And if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at numbers at gmail.com. We have terrible takes and worse tweets, so come check us out. That's true. Um, <laughs> and uh, until Thursday, uh, y'all have a good one. Bye.